I got enemies. Got a lot of enemies. Got a lot of people trying to drain me of my energy. Drizzy Drake might as well have written that song about the UFC, because they certainly have their fair share of antagonists. And today we're going to take a look at 10 such adversaries. Now, keep in mind, this is not who we feel are the enemies of the UFC, but that the UFC and or Dana White perceive, or have perceived at various times, as foes. These are entities, personalities, and groups that were either seen as direct threats to the biggest MMA promotion in the world, or at the very least a thorn in their side that prompted some sort of retaliation. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point, and these are the 10 biggest enemies to the UFC. Number 10, Darren Ravel. We'll start with a feud I have to admit makes me laugh. Darren Ravel's made a career of being contentious and a bit unlikable to sports fans. It's not to say that he does bad work, although some of his takes are pretty rough, but the sports business analyst has been doing this for a very long time and has worked for some pretty major publications, ESPN, CNBC, what have you. Ravel has covered MMA quite a bit over the years, even interviewing Dana White in the past. Where things went south was when Darren broke the story that the UFC was looking to sell back in May of 2016, a report that Dana immediately denied. Then in July, when it turned out to be true, Ravel reported on the difficulties going on in finalizing the deal, again something White was not very happy about. He even tweeted that Ravel was a total douche and would talk about anything to stay employed. It was Darren's take on Amanda Nunes and the UFC's early attempts to work through the pandemic, though, that would really heat things up. Ravel's position was that Nunes defeating the likes of Ronda Rousey and Cyborg was horrible for the UFC, as she was nowhere near as marketable as a fighter, and as such the promotion lost a ton of money. Dipshit Darren Ravel said that Amanda Nunes, you know, we were screwed. She could never be a star and all these other things. White on several occasions during press conferences fired back, hilariously acting as if he couldn't remember Ravel's name, and then going on to talk about how he knows nothing about the sport. I know uh, the dipshit there. What's, what's his name? The dipshit that thinks he knows about this business. Ravel, Darren Ravel, yeah. Dipshit Darren Ravel. I honestly hope this one never ends. Number 9. Oscar De La Hoya. Over the years, there have been a number of rival promoters to the UFC, but most of them weren't particularly contentious, more so just trying to occupy the same space. Bjorn Rabney, Scott Coker, maybe Gary Shaw was seen as a real threat and enemy during his brief time with Elite XC. More so than any of them, though, it was Oscar De La Hoya who would end up being an adversary to the UFC, and particularly Dana White, over a promotion that I have no doubt the brass at Endeavor were not worried about in the slightest. Oscar's been a successful boxing promoter under the Golden Boy brand, and was a big critic of the Mayweather-McGregor boxing match. So a year later in 2018, he decided to expand Golden Boy into mixed martial arts. That in and of itself would not draw the ire of the combat sports leader, but De La Hoya went on a media blitz and went in on the UFC's practices. Just about the business about how fighters are just coming up to me and saying, look, we don't get paid enough. How they treat their fighters, Dana as a person. He was on like ESPN too, so this wasn't just some local radio ads. In turn, White himself went on a verbal campaign. The guy's a liar. He's lying about the amount of buys he did. He doesn't run the business. He knows nothing about the business. He knows nothing about the sport, and he's not very bright to absolutely sabotage their first and what would turn out to be only show, which was being headlined by Tito Ortiz and a 48-year-old Chuck Liddell who hadn't fought in eight years, something that pissed Dana off given his relationship with the Iceman. The resulting war of words would lead to some of White's most brutal takedowns. The show was bound to fail anyway, but it didn't help that Dana went full scorched earth on it in the lead-up to the event. Safe to say he and Oscar won't be riding a tandem bike anytime soon. Number 8. Jake Paul Look, when you make a whole music video to talk shit to Dana White, I mean, 
how could you not be on this list? Do you know how many people it takes to make a music video? That's like a hundred people working on a pet project just to tell Dana White, fuck you. The simulation is truly breaking down. So yeah, the Vine star turned YouTube rapper turned boxing special attraction turned, I guess he's going for savior of mixed martial arts now, Jake Joseph Paul, is definitely considered by the UFC an enemy at this point. The, the fighter pay needs to increase, and so I've said that, you know, if I win, then, we then Dana has to increase the minimum of fighter pay. Not only has he been constantly talking about Dana White himself, Paul has been regularly bringing up fighter pay issues, even going so far as to claim he is making some sort of fighters union. He even bizarrely invested in Endeavor as a way to apparently gain influence over the parent company of the UFC to enact change. I don't have anywhere near enough time to explain to you why that's entirely nonsense, but trust me or go find my tweets about it. Anyway, with such a high profile online, KOing former UFC stars, and his persistent talk about Dana and how fighters are being treated, it's safe to say the promotion isn't the biggest fan of Mr. Jake. I fucking guarantee you this, you ain't gonna see Jake Paul calling Anderson Silva out. That I fucking promise you. Despite numerous attempts to get some of the UFC's most high-profile fighters in bouts with him, thus far Paul has been unsuccessful, and I'm guessing given his approach, there's never going to be a positive relationship with the UFC that would allow such a crossover event. Number 7. Floyd Mayweather Remember in the build-up to the Maymac fight when Floyd was talking about how Dana carried his bags? That was actually true. When White first got to Vegas as an adult, he was briefly associated with Mayweather's camp, even getting the young fighter to wear a boxing apparel brand he'd created for his first few fights. Then, of course, the two went their separate ways, only to clash again over the years as the UFC became prominent, as did Dana. In 2009, the UFC ran a pay-per-view against Mayweather's return to the ring after a near two-year layoff. When asked about the sport during fight week, Floyd did not pull any punches. It takes true skills to be in the sport of boxing. And, and mixed martial art is for beer, beer drinkers. Boxing is for everybody. This is a, it's, I mean, you can't take... You can't take my shoes off and take my shirt off and just throw me in a cage. You do that with animals. Mayweather went on to imply that white people made mixed martial arts because they couldn't succeed in boxing. A few years later in 2012, after Floyd made some disparaging comments about basketball star Jeremy Lin, Dana White took to Fox Sports to lay into Mayweather a bit. First of all, what he said I think is racist. He's made a couple of racist comments, and yes, Floyd, you're racist, you knucklehead, okay? Second of all, uh, the other thing you said, you said Manny Pacquiao should go make some sushi somewhere. Sushi's from Japan. He's from the Philippines, dummy. And I know that I speak for millions and millions of other people. Shut up and make the fight, Floyd. This prompted a response from Floyd's manager who said Dana needs to shut the fuck up and mind his own business, stay in his own lane, and keep taking advantage of the UFC fighters while underpaying them. A few years later, they squashed the beef and made a bazillion dollars together for Maymac. Number six, ESPN. The worldwide leader in sports couldn't be happier to be partnered with the UFC these days. They're as thick as thieves. Who would have thought the house of mouse and cage fighting would mix? but ESPN hasn't always been a friend to the sport. Actually, the vast majority of mainstream MMA coverage before around 2008 was either downright condemnation as barbarism, a fascination with the type of person that would even watch mixed martial arts, a focus solely on the spectacle of violence, or it was negative by omission, entirely ignoring the sport despite its growing popularity in the early 2000s. ESPN didn't truly give MMA a shake until it could see the popular tides turning following the tough boom. For the longest time, MMA didn't even have its own tab on their website 
website. You had to go to boxing, and that's even if they had some kind of MMA story. Pieces about MMA were usually relegated to things like Page 2, which was a more tongue-in-cheek look at sports for ESPN. Bill Simmons wrote a piece titled Sodom, Gomorrah, and the UFC in 2002, where he attended an event. He did end up liking the sport, but his account was as if he'd walked into some kind of underground fight club. It's a pretty funny read. Guys like the Washington Post's Mike Wilbon and Tony Kornheiser, who hosted Pardon the Interruption, the most popular show on ESPN for a time, would always bash the sport and misrepresent it. This is not a sport that I pay much attention to. I think in the men's competition and the women's competition, it's savagery. Their relationship has never been great. That's not entirely true, actually. The UFC doesn't mind at all when the MMA media does what they do that in turn gets people excited about the product, be that interviews with fighters on upcoming cards or any sort of celebrating of the sport, what have you. They love that stuff. It's just that pesky journalism part of the journalism that they don't seem to care for too much. Anytime someone does anything for the statey or brings to light some kind of issue, their relationship sours fast, which in reality is the case for most things. When the media points out a problem with an entity, they push back. They're not just going to say, ah, yeah, you're right, we do suck. It's just that the UFC in particular, especially in the sports world, have a reputation for stifling press members when they're not huge fans of their work. A whole bunch of journalists over the years have been denied access, banned as it were, from the UFC or their shows. The most famous case was of course Ariel Hawani's lifetime ban that lasted a couple days, but that was because it stirred up such a huge controversy. All the quote troublemakers have sort of gone their own way at this point, but the UFC never misses an opportunity to take shots at some of their least favorite. Like when Dana posted that hilarious congratulations video about them kicking the pandemic's ass when everybody said they wouldn't and couldn't. Oh, and by the way, here's a list of journalists who opposed us, and we're going to make it look like they didn't want fighters to have jobs. MMA is a blast. Number four, Frank Shamrock. Dana White has certainly had his fair share of spats with fighters. Ken Shamrock owed the UFC legal fees. Ken Shamrock owes me $175,000. And I'm coming for it, Ken. I'm coming for the fucking money, you piece of shit. He and Tito almost threw down in a boxing match. Randy Couture has been banned for life from the promotion. But of all the fighters who could have made this list, perhaps Frank Shamrock is the best example. Things started right after Shamrock retired under the old UFC regime, and then Zufa took over. I have no business with those people, and I have no intention of doing business with those people. Apparently some meetings were had, but things did not go well. And ever since, the two parties have been mortal enemies, going back and forth in interviews such as this gem from Dana White. Frank, Frank Shamrock is an irrelevant jackass, okay? You're a two-faced lion chump. That's what you are, Frank Shamrock. What have you done for mixed martial arts in the last 10 years? What have you done? You haven't done anything. You're just a liar and a guy who's trying to keep himself relevant. I don't want to work with a douchebag like him. He's a, he's a, he's a two-faced liar. I can't stand the guy. He's a phony. Yeah, no Christmas cards from Dana at the Shamrock household. Frank would lend the credibility of his legendary career to the likes of the WEC in their early days and go on to be a huge part of Strike Force's initial success, main eventing their first show and having a great feud with Nick Diaz. Things got so bad between the UFC and Frank that his gym changed their name to American Kickboxing Academy, so it was easier for fighters to get booked. Both sides have alleged some some pretty nasty stuff about each other over the years, and this whole thing is probably why you're never going to see Frank Shamrock in the UFC Hall of Fame, even though he clearly belongs. At least not as long as Dana White is still involved with the promotion. Number three, Bob Arum. UFC are a bunch of skinhead white guys watching people in the ring who are also look like skinhead white guys. 90% of the people in the audience wear tattoos. It's horrible. Guys rolling around like homosexuals on the ground. I mean, it is not a sport 
that shows great, great talent. Jesus, Bob, why don't you tell us how you really feel about mixed martial arts? That was, of course, longtime boxing promoter Bob Arum. And yeah, he and the UFC haven't ever really gotten along. That interview is from 2009 when MMA was really booming. Despite Arum's claim to believe that the MMA audience didn't share boxings, I'm sure he, as well as the rest of the sport, saw the UFC as a threat to business, whether they wanted to admit it or not, especially around that time. He and Dana White have had their fair share of comments about each other over the years. White recently joked that you could probably write up 10 full pages of quotes from him about his disdain for Bob Arum. I'm not sure you could do the same for the boxing promoter about DFW, but he certainly hasn't been shy about taking shots at Dana or the UFC's business practices. We beat the pants off them, not only just overall rating, but the demographics that everybody is looking for. While this whole boxing versus MMA thing eventually died down a bit in terms of this belief that one would replace the other, it hasn't changed how Aram and White feel about each other. They're still butting heads to this day. In fact, a rant Dana had about Aram was recently used by Terrence Crawford in a lawsuit he's filed against the boxing promoter. Let's just play a quick snippet of that one. Bob Aram is a piece of fucking shit. Yeah, so as you can see, no love lost between these two still. Number two, John McCain, from enemy to savior. John McCain's legacy in MMA is an interesting one. In 1997, he was the villain of all villains to the UFC and US mixed martial arts as a whole. A huge boxing fan in 96, the senator from Arizona finally caught wind of this whole UFC thing, and man, he was not happy about it. So brutal that uh, it nauseates people. Uh, even hardened individuals uh, are repelled by this. In fact, he made it his mission to essentially destroy what he saw as human cockfighting, a label he coined that would certainly have some legs. He kicked things off with a letter-writing campaign to all the governors in the country, warning them about MMA and asking them to ban it. Then in 1997, McCain became the head of the Commerce Committee, which spelled even bigger trouble because while the letters effectively saw the sport banned in most of the country and forced out of all the major media markets, his new committee role meant he had a huge influence on the cable networks in the US, and nearly all of them would stop carrying the UFC during his tenure as chairman. Things were in really bad shape. MMA in the US was just about flatlined. But here's where the unexpected hero bit comes in. As a result of this onslaught, the UFC did everything in their ability to clean up the sport, as it were. They added weight classes, gloves were required, there was the eventual creation of the unified rules, and it was these changes that allowed the sport to recover in the US, regain pay-per-view distribution, get regulated in major markets again, and eventually be completely legal in all 50 states. Dana White and Lorenzo Fertitta have both gone on record several times, citing McCain's campaign as what saved mixed martial arts from itself. Number one, Sheldon Silver and the Culinary Union. I always thought it was hilarious that the greatest threat to MMA for a while was a bunch of chefs. I joke, of course. Culinary Union 226 in Las Vegas represents gaming, hotel, and food service workers, and they had a major beef with the former owners of the UFC, the Fertitta brothers. You see, Frank and Lorenzo didn't just own the UFC, they also own Station Casinos which make up some 20-odd locations in Vegas. They are huge. The Fertitas only hire non-union workers for their businesses and contend that their workers don't want to organize, something 226 had a major beef with. Now, the local culinary union isn't exactly Jimmy Hoffa powerful, but they're an affiliate of Unite Here, which is a much larger national operation headquartered in New York City. And thus, we get our MMA conflict. Knowing the Fertitas desperately wanted to break into the NYC market, the culinary union did everything in their power to lobby against legislation culinary union i don't give a sh 
You guys think what you do, you don't matter to me any way, shape, or form. As well as besmirch the name of the promotion. They would bash the UFC and the media every chance they got for any mistake or issue that arose within the company or with its executives. And they flexed their muscle with legislators through their political sway and lobbying, their most powerful ally being Sheldon Silver, the Speaker of the New York State Assembly from 1994 to 2015. Guess when MMA finally got legalized in New York? Yep, right after Silver left office in handcuffs on federal corruption charges entirely unrelated to his years of blocking the UFC. With the Fertitas no longer in the ownership position of the UFC, it appears the culinary union beef is finished, at least on the MMA front. As for Silver, the former speaker died in prison earlier this year. Thanks for watching. Please give us a like and subscribe. We've got three new videos or more for you every single week. Let us know what you thought of the video in the comments below. Follow On Point MMA on Twitter and have yourself a wonderful day.